Amen. All right, well, we're there in James chapter number 3, and if you remember last week, we dealt with the subject of the tongue, and we basically ended at verse number 12. I was debating whether or not to skip the last, you know, uh, six verses there in James chapter 3, and I decided to go ahead and preach a sermon on it. This is now our seventh sermon in the book of James. There's only five chapters in James, but we're kind of just making sure we hit everything. So I wanted to hit these last uh, verses in chapter 3 tonight, and they deal with the subject of wisdom. And I want you to notice in verse 13, it seems like he's shifting gears, but he's not really. He's kind of talking about the same things he's been talking about the whole time. If you look at verse 13, and I want you to understand that the last few verses here have to do with wisdom and this idea of wisdom. And in verse 13, we get, for those of you that like to take notes, if you want to write down point number one, we find the definition of wisdom, the definition of wisdom. James chapter 3 and verse 13, notice what it says. He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge? That word endued means to have the quality of. to to possess it. He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show. I want you to make note of that word show. I know it's spelled S-H-E-W, but it's our word S-H-O-W. It means to manifest, to allow it to be seen. Let him show out of a good conversation his works. Notice that word works with meekness of wisdom. If you remember, James deals with this idea of becoming a mature Christian, of not being a baby anymore, of not being this child. And he's that's what James is all about. People get all messed up when they try to find doctrine about salvation in a book that has to do with spiritual maturity. If you want salvation, go to John. If you want salvation, go to Romans. If you want spiritual maturity, how to grow up, how to not be a baby, James is where you want to go. And let me just review just real quickly so you can see this theme throughout the book of James. Go back to James chapter number 1 and look at verse number 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. I know we dealt with this already, but I just want to remind you, James 1, 22, notice what he says. He says, be ye doers of the word. You notice the emphasis on what you do. He says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves, for, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a, notice, doer. The emphasis of James is that you actually do something with what you're being taught. You actually do something with what you read about in Scripture. You actually put it into practice. He says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And we preached a whole sermon on that. Uh, We won't deal with that again. You're welcome to check that out on the website or get a CD. Go to James chapter 2. Look at verse 17. If you remember, James 2 was all about works and adding works to our faith. And again, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but notice James chapter 2 and verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Skip down to verse 26, same chapter, James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, notice what he says, so faith without works is dead also. So what James is emphasizing is this idea of putting your faith to work, doing, applying, actually doing something with what you're being taught and what you're learning. And here's what you got to understand if you go back to James 3.13. Notice what he says. He says, who is a wise man? Because again, we're talking about this idea of maturity, of growing as a Christian. He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge? Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? Knowledge is the accumulation of information. 
Knowledge is, uh, is being able to grasp facts and grasp information, to understand things. And he says here that you are endued with knowledge. But notice, he talks about wisdom and he says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge? Now here's what you understand. You cannot have wisdom without first having knowledge. But knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of information, is the uh, uh, you know, gathering of facts and understanding things. But wisdom is being able to put those facts and put that info into practice. Because notice what he says. Who is a wise man? Now this wise man is endued with knowledge, possesses knowledge, has the ability of knowledge. But it's not just that. Notice what he says. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So he says, knowledge is not enough. He said, in order to be wise, you got to be able to take that knowledge and then put it into practice and then be able to do something. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is putting that information into practice. And I'm not going to take the time to show you all sorts of verses, but there's lots of them I could show you. But go to Matthew chapter 13. Let me just show you one verse about the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13 should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. There is this connection in Scripture between wisdom and works. This connection between, uh, you know, what you do and wisdom. Because wisdom is not just getting... Now, look, you need knowledge. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You must have knowledge to have wisdom. But just because you have knowledge does not mean you have wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and do something with it. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and apply it. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus in Matthew 13 and verse 54. The Bible says this, And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said. Notice what they said about Jesus. Whence, the word whence means where, where does he have this from? He says, whence hath this man this wisdom, notice what it says, and these mighty works. You see that? Now, they, how did they know that Jesus had wisdom? Because they saw his mighty works. They saw what he was doing and they said, where did this guy get this wisdom from and these mighty works? So in the Bible, there's this connection between wisdom and, this, and works. And here's what it means. This means that your works, the things you do, should be able to show us your wisdom. If you have wisdom, we'll see it in your works. If you do not have uh, wisdom, then we'll also see it in your works. So I want you to understand, just kind of as we begin, in, the, in verse 13, we get this definition of wisdom. Wisdom is gathering facts, gathering info, putting it into work. You're able to show us through your works, your wisdom. Someone said this, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Who knew that a tomato was a fruit? I didn't know that. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it into a fruit salad. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a good little uh, definition there of wisdom. Wisdom understands that you don't want a tomato in your fruit salad, but you may know that it's fruit. So we get this definition of wisdom. But number two, look at James chapter 3 and skip down to verse 15. We're going to come back to verse 14 in a second, but I want you to notice verse 15. James gives us this definition of wisdom, but then he explains to us the types of wisdom. For those of you taking notes, number two, the types of wisdom. And I want you to notice there are two types of wisdom that are mentioned in this passage. And I know we're just dealing with six verses tonight, so hopefully we won't be very long. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 15. He says, this wisdom. Now, he says this wisdom because there are different kinds of wisdom. He says this wisdom. Notice The first wisdom descendeth not from above. 
He says, there is a wisdom that does not come from God. There is a wisdom that does not come from heaven. And notice what he says, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Now, here's what's interesting. What we fight every day and what we're going against every, every day is the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, the world's against us, our own flesh is against us, and Satan himself walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And here James says, hey, there is a wisdom. He says, it descendeth not from above. He said, it's earthly, meaning it's worldly, or it's from the world. He says, it's sensual, meaning it it appeals to your flesh. And he says, it's devilish. It's from the devil. It's from uh, Satan himself. And he says, there's this wisdom that does not come from God. It comes from the world. It comes from the flesh. And it comes from the devil. Let me give you some examples of this. Keep your finger there in James chapter 3. Obviously, as the text for tonight. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians. When you get to 1 Corinthians, put your bulletin there or a bookmark or a ribbon. Because we're going to leave 1 Corinthians, but we're going to come back to it. Uh, so just make sure you can get there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And notice what he says in verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 20, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible says this, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Notice what he says. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So notice Paul says that God has made foolish, but he acknowledges the fact that there is a wisdom of this world. Go to chapter 2, same book. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this, And my speech and my preaching, this is Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, was not, notice what he says, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, look at verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. Do you see that? He says, look, I did not come with, the, with man's wisdom. I don't want your faith to stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yea, yet not the wisdom of this world. Do you see that? He says, we, don't, we didn't come to you with the wisdom of man. He said, we didn't come to you with the wisdom of this world. He said, yet not with the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to not. So go to verse uh, chapter 3. Look at verse 19. Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just flip a page over. Verse 19, notice what Paul says. He says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So what does God think about this wisdom that is not from above, this wisdom that is worldly and sensual and devilish, this wisdom that comes from man and comes from the world and comes from Satan? What is God? God thinks it's foolishness. But here's what you understand. There is a wisdom of this world. Don't, you know, we, we like to think like, oh, this world is so foolish, this world is so dumb. There are people in this world that are very wise. Now, it's a worldly wisdom. It's a sensual wisdom. It's a devilish wisdom. But they have a wisdom of this world. Go back to James. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. Go back to James chapter 3. Notice the second wisdom that is mentioned. The second wisdom, the first wisdom, is that which is not from above. And he says it's, uh, you know, worldly, earthly, sensual, devilish. It's from the world. It's from the flesh. It's from the devil. But then he says there's a second wisdom. Notice verse 17. 
but the wisdom that is from above. So he says, he said, now we're not talking about the world that is not from above. He said, now let's talk about the wisdom that is from above. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So here he says, there's another wisdom. He said, there's a wisdom that is, that is not from above. And then he says, there's a wisdom that is from above. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me show you the wisdom that is from above. Paul talked about the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of men, the wisdom that God considers foolishness. But Paul also talked about the wisdom that is from above. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, notice what he said. He says, for after that in, notice what he says. The wisdom of God. The world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So the Bible says that the wisdom... Now here's what's interesting. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. The wisdom of God, the Bible says, is foolishness to this world because it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, meaning that the world would look at preaching and say, that's foolish. Why would you do that? Why would you listen to that? Why would you go? But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that are, uh, that are without or... Good night, I stopped reading. Where, where is it? Uh, verse 21. To save them that believe. Look at verse 24. Skip down a couple verses to verse 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and, no, I just want you to notice, the wisdom of God. Do you see that? So he says there's a wisdom of man, there's a wisdom of God. There's a wisdom of this world. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. And notice, all of these are in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. He's going back and forth between the wisdom of men, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of this world, the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God. He says, we come, we didn't, he, said, he already said, we didn't come to you in the wisdom of men. We didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So here's what I want you to understand, okay? Here's what James is teaching. James is saying, number one, you have the definition of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to be endued with knowledge, to possess knowledge, to be able to have access to knowledge, or to be able to gain knowledge and and have knowledge and have information, but to be able to use that knowledge and work it so that you're showing through your actions the knowledge. He says that's wisdom. When you can take knowledge and put it to work and apply it. But he says, but listen, there are different types of wisdom. He says, see, there is a wisdom that is not from above. It's a worldly. It's a sensual. It's an earthly. It's a fleshly. It's a devilish. It's, a, it's from Satan, the type of wisdom. But he says there's another wisdom that is from above. Go back to James chapter 3, look at verse 14. So we said, number one, you've got the definition of wisdom. Number two, you've got the types of wisdom. And number three, James would teach us that you have the result of wisdom. So what is the result of wisdom? And you ought to ask yourself this question as we're looking at these verses. We're in the book of James, so we want to be very applicable, right? We're about to, I gave you some information. I just gave you some info. I just gave you some facts. You might have known that, you might have not. But now we're going to apply those. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Look at these verses and honestly, brutally be honest with yourself. Think about your dealings with others. Think about your dealings with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, with your neighbors. 
with other church people and other Christians, just random strength. Think about just the random people that are driving down the road with you, all right? And just try to think to yourself, because here's what James is teaching. He says, you can tell the type of wisdom that you have by the works that you show, by the way you live your life, by the things that you do, we can tell. You can tell us you're a Christian all day long. Remember, we covered that, James chapter 2. We covered that, James chapter 1. Your religion may, you may seem very religious, but we know what you really are based on how you act and react. Notice what he says. Look at verse 14. But if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, he says, glory not. He says, this is not something to be proud about. This is not something to brag about. This is not something to boast about. He says, if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. He says, and lie not against the truth. He said, don't lie to me and tell me you've got God's wisdom when your heart is filled with envy and strife. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly. Sensual, devilish. Look at verse 16. Now notice these parallels. And if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I would, write, I would draw some arrows right here. Verse 16. For where envying and strife is. Now, what I would do if I were you, I would draw an arrow from the word envying in verse 16 to the word envying in verse 14. And then I would write, uh, draw an arrow from the word uh, strife in verse 16 to the word strife in verse 14. Because here's what he's doing. He's telling us, People who are full of envy and strife. He says, these are the characteristics, envy and strife. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and evil work. He says, if ye have envying and strife, he said, don't glory. He said, don't lie. This wisdom is not from God. This wisdom descendeth not from above. He said, you've got earthly wisdom. You've got sensual wisdom. You've got devilish wisdom. You do not have God's wisdom when your life and your heart is characterized by two words, envying and strife. So what do these words mean? Well, the word envy means to be discontent with yourself or your possessions. It talks about coveting. Or desiring. Look, if you're the type of person who's constantly complaining about, well, I just, I just wish my house was nicer. I just wish my car was nicer. I just wish I looked nicer. I just wish, you know, my spouse was nicer. I, just, I wish I had those kids. You know, my kids are just, they're so bad. Hey, they're bad because you're a bad parent. That's why they're bad, by the way. But, you know, you say, well, well, you know, I'm just constantly, if you're constantly coveting, you're desiring, you're, want, you're saying, I wish my life was different. I, now, look, there's nothing wrong with desiring to better yourself. In fact, you should better yourself. The Bible says to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are things, I won't share them with you, but there are things that I've got, you know, a list going of things that I need to work on in my personal life. I'm trying to become a better person every day, and I think you ought to also. But listen to me, if you're constantly envy, you're constantly discontent, I just don't like. I just, I'm upset with, I wish this was different. The Bible says if your heart is full of envy, then the wisdom that you possess is not from above. He says bitter envying, and then he has this word, strife. The word strife means angry or bitter. Talks about conflict. Listen to me. If you're the type of person who's constantly just arguing, constantly just mad, constantly just full of wrath. You're always angry. There's always something going on that you're not happy about. You've got earthly wisdom. You've got devilish wisdom. 
You've got wisdom that is sensual. You've got wisdom that is not from above. You are, you say, well, well, I'm a very smart person. I'm sure you are. Well, I've got a lot of knowledge. I'm sure you do. And I know how to apply it. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you've got, I'm not debating that you've got wisdom. I'm just here to tell you, your wisdom is sensual. It's fleshly. It's earthly. It's from Satan. It's not from God. When you're constantly, look, if every, you know, let me just go do some pastoral counseling, you know, in, uh, in a group setting, all right? If you, if you know, if you're like, my husband hates me, my children hates me, my boss hates me, my neighbor hates me, random people I meet at the store hate me. Look, if everybody in life has a problem with you and you're the common denominator, maybe you're the problem. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's not just everybody just out to get me. Maybe there's a problem with your tongue. Maybe there's a problem with the way you think. See, the Bible talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as your mind is renewed, and as your way of thinking is renewed, as you put away the wisdom of this world, and you put away this wisdom that the earth gave you, and you put away the wisdom that Satan gave you, you put away the wisdom that your flesh gave you, and you begin to actually listen to what God says and apply God's word in your life, hey, strife will cease, and envying will cease. And all of a sudden, you'll start looking at your spouse and saying, I'm kind of happy with that one. And you'll start looking at your kids and you'll start looking at your house and you'll start realizing because here's what earthly wisdom does. It says, you need a bigger house. You need a better husband. You see that neighbor over there? You see that guy you work with over there? See, the, the earth's wisdom tells young people to go out and have physical relationships before they're married. Tells them to fornicate. See, the earthly wisdom, your, your little worldly friends, your little Satan friends told you, go ahead and get a divorce. Go ahead and do those drugs. Someone told you to go, no, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You go have that for yourself. See, the world tells you get in debt. The world tells, everything the world tells you is trying to mess up your life. And it's bringing strife and envy and conflict. And some of you, this is your life. I mean, I'm describing your every day. You're just mad about something. I'm upset with something. And I just wish that this envy and I wish. And listen to me. It's because you've got worldly wisdom. And by the way, this sets the context for chapter 4. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? See, here's what you got to understand. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm actually trying to help you. Most of your problems are you. And by the way, most of my problems, in fact, all of my problems are me. It's not my wife. It's not my kids. It's not my job. It's not my income. You say, well, I'm always broke. You could, you could get a raise tomorrow and be just as broke. Because the problem is you. And the problem is me. And the problem is that we've been given this wisdom that is not from above. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. The world's wisdom, let me tell you something. The world is wrong about everything. I mean, the world wants to tell you that abortions are fine. I mean, you know, I mean, what kind of insanity do you have to have to think, okay, is it okay to kill a child in, their, in the womb of their mother where they should be the safest? And the world says, well, of course it is. And you think, well, where did they get that from? Because it's foolishness to us that think like God thinks, or at least are trying to think like God thinks. The world tells you two men, you know, uh, having a relationship together is normal. The world tells you these things, but you've got to understand. It, it, and here's what James is trying to do. He said, I'm trying to help you. He said, first, I want to teach you how to apply what you've learned. 
He said, secondly, I want you to get off your rear end and actually get to work and actually start doing something with the things you've learned. He says, he says I want to help you control your tongue. And then he says, here, I want to help the way you think. Because Paul would say the only way your life can be transformed, the only way your marriage can be transformed, your finances, your children, whatever you're dealing with, the only way it can be transformed is by the renewing of your mind. And you say, well, what does that have to do with my mind? Wisdom has to do with knowledge being applied. Notice the result of God's wisdom. See, we know the result of the world's wisdom. Just spend a week with me. Listen to the phone calls. I mean, I get phone calls all day long. I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do in that situation. I don't know what to do. And it's all people that aren't in church. And I just thought, if you would have got to church, we would have could have took care of that. Could have taught you what the Bible says. But notice the result of God's wisdom. Notice verse 17. But the wisdom of this that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But then he says this, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the wisdom, and here's the the characteristics that he says. He says it's pure. He says it's clean. He says it's peaceable. We'll talk more about that here in a second. He says it's gentle. Let me just ask you, and I'm not, please don't answer out loud. This is just for you if you want to apply wisdom. But ask yourself this question. Are you gentle? You say, what does that mean? Are you the opposite of being hard, or maybe the word is harsh? Are you gentle? Because he says, hey, the wisdom that is from above, he says it's gentle. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you find all those T-books, they're all kind of clustered together. 1 Second Thessalonians, 1 Second Timothy, Titus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. We have this idea that as fundamental Baptists, we're not supposed to be gentle. My job is just to stand up here and, and look, from time to time, we need to stand up here and just preach the Bible and let, you know, and, and, and just preach the truth. We're not talking about watering down God's word. But listen, biblical Christianity is not this idea where we're just mean and angry. The Bible says we ought to be gentle. Remember, we learned from Isaiah just last week that Jesus did not come to break uh, 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 the reeds that were bruised. He did not come to quench the smoking flax. Notice what Paul said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. He says, but we were gentle among you. I'm a fundamental Baptist, my job. No, no, no. Paul said, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. You know what I've noticed? People are gentle when they actually care. And when you just don't care about people, and I just don't really care about your life, See, sometimes you say, well, well Pastor Matt, you know, uh, you, sometimes you preach sermons and they're kind of mean and, you know, you preach on parenting and, and it was kind of mean to some of the things that I do or I could do. But listen to me, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I love you. I'm trying to help you raise good kids. We're not talking about watering down God's word. But here's the thing. We are gentle. Notice what he says, verse 5. Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, t- uh, 8. So being affectionately desirous of you. We were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. He said, we loved you. We cared for you. We, uh, we were interested in investing in you. So we were gentle with you. Because you needed that. Because you needed someone to help you. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You're there in 1 Thessalonians? Go to, just to flip a few pages over, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 23. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. 2 Timothy 2, 23, notice what he says. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Here's, here's, the, here's the wisdom of this world. I grew up in a public school that said to me, there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's the world's wisdom. Here's God's wisdom. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Does God think there's a such thing as dumb questions? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Knowing that they do gender, here's a key word, strifes. And the servant of the Lord, notice, must not strive. You say, I want to serve the Lord. You must not strive. That's what the Bible says. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Look at verse 25. In meekness. Make note of that word meekness. Because remember he said that in, in, in uh, James uh, 3, where was it? Verse uh, 13, he says, Who is a wise man among you, endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So there we're told in 2 Timothy 2.25, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I get so mad with these people, they just don't understand what the Bible says. Hey, look, my job is to go to them in meekness. So well, they're opposing themselves. Yeah, but perhaps, peradventure, God will give them repentance. to the, Maybe they'll experience repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Maybe they'll turn away from a lie and repent towards truth. So well, how do we do that with meekness? How do we do that with gentleness? How do we do that without striving? How do we do that without getting mad, without getting upset, without having wrath, without having envy, without having strife? That is the wisdom that is from above. Now look, the wisdom of this world is foolish, of God is foolishness with this world. God says, turn the other cheek. The world says, don't you turn that other cheek. You don't let them do that to you. God says, hey, let, let, you know, let God deal with it. Let God be your avenger. You just, you just pray for them who despitefully use you. And, and the world says, no, don't do that. But that's why some people's lives are filled with strife and envy and are characterized with conflict and wrath. So here's a question that I have for you. If you go back to Romans, uh, I'm sorry, James chapter 3. Because look at what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom of this that is from above is gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Let me ask you this. Are you easy to be entreated? Are you, you say, what does that mean? It means to be approachable. Think about your kids, those of you that have parents. I don't know, I'm on a parent kick right now. Are your kids able to just approach you easily? Or are your kids just like, oh, I can't say anything to my dad because he's always just gets mad and whenever I come to, I kind of have to cover myself in case he tries to smack me? Hey, that's not wisdom that is from above. Is it, is, is, does your spouse have to like tiptoe and say, oh, because they want to tell you something? You know, are you easy to be entreated? This is something I have to work on every day. Every day, you know, people talk to me as a pastor, and sometimes people are mean to me and rude to me, and sometimes I think, well, you don't have any right. And I have to just tell myself, am I easy to be entreated? Am I easy to be approached? Is it easy for people to come to me and say, and ask me a question, or am I just going to get off the fence? Well, I already preached it, don't you know? Why weren't you listening? Hey, are you easy to be approached? Can someone come to you and say, hey, brother, I just want to ask you about this situation right here. Without you getting all mad and all upset and all. Because, see, you're either practicing the wisdom that is from above or the wisdom that is not from above, that is from this world. Are you full of mercy and good fruit? See, we love the word grace. The word grace means I get something I don't deserve. But you know what mercy means? Mercy means I don't, I, I don't give something that I should. 
Does that make sense? When I should come down hard because you did me wrong, I show mercy and I withhold that. See, because you see, God withheld mercy. God gave mercy to me. God withheld the punishment from me when I did him wrong. Are you full of mercy and good fruit? Are you without partiality? Are you without hypocrisy? Are you real? Are you genuine? Here's what James is saying. He's saying there's a definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and then apply it and then work it out and then do something with it. He says there's types of wisdom, though. There's wisdom that is from above and wisdom that is not from above. Wisdom that is from this world and wisdom that is not from this world. And he says there's a different result with both. One is envying, one is strife. One is peace and gentle and easy to be entreated and full of mercy, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, let me show you just a couple of things about this mercy, and, and, uh, and, and, and we'll finish up. Uh, it's 7.58, so we, we can do this in 50 minutes for sure. Notice that he says in verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 13. I'm sorry, not verse 13. Good night. We're starting over. No. Verse uh, 17. I want you to notice what it says. It says, but the wisdom that is from above, and notice what he says. He says, it's first pure, then peaceable. He said, first pure, then, meaning number two, it's peaceable. That's the order that it should go in. Go to Romans uh, chapter number 16, just real quickly, and and then we're going to go to Proverbs, and we'll we'll be done, all right? We'll be done in like 10 minutes for sure. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Romans 16, and then Proverbs, okay? Here's where the liberals went wrong. They said, the wisdom that is from above is first peaceable, then pure. Here's what they say. I get, I get so many things in the mail. I get invited to, you know, this pa- the pastors of Sacramento are going re- to go have breakfast together. You know, they want me to go have breakfast with some Catholic and some Jehovah's Witness. And they're like, well, you should be able to put aside, you know, your differences and, and, and get along. It's like, first, let's have peace, and then we'll worry about what we believe. But is that what the Bible says? See, that makes sense by the world standard. By the world standard, doesn't it make sense to say, well, let's just set aside our differences. Let's just not talk about the things that we disagree on. Let's just have peace first, and then we'll deal with purity. That makes sense if you have the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of the flesh, the wisdom of the devil. I'm sure the Antichrist is going to show up and say, let's have peace and then purity. But the Bible says that it's first pure, then peaceable, meaning we need to make sure it's right before we try to get along with people. You understand that? We need to make sure it's, it's okay. Sometimes people get upset. Well, I don't understand why you got to, you know, you, you're, when you get up there preaching, you preach about false prophets like Benny Hinn and Joyce Myers and Billy Graham and the Catholics and the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Why do you have to name all those people? Because here's the thing. We're not in the same boat. Some of us believe salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works. Plus nothing, minus nothing. I don't have to repent of anything except unbelief. And they believe, no, you must repent of your sins. No, you must do good works. No, you must go to church. They believe, you know, that all sorts of crazy things. And people say, well, why can't you just get along? Because it's first pure, then peaceable. And Romans 16, are you there in verse 17? Notice what it says. Romans 16, 17, the Bible says this. Now I beseech you, brethren. Notice what he says. Mark them. Why do you have to call out the name of Joel Osteen? Because my job is to mark him. Why do you have to call out the names of T.D. Jakes, of John Hagee? Why do you have to call out those names? Because Paul said, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. He says, look, it's first pure, then peaceable. And he says, well, why do you mark them? Here's why. So you can avoid them. 
Because I, I don't want you going home watching Joyce Myers. And if you go to her conference, don't tell me about it. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to give you a high five. I'm just going to say, well, you know, that was a waste of $40 or you know, whatever. They charge you to come in. You, you say, well, why do you mark them? So you can avoid them. Why? Because they're trying to go against the purity of the doctrine of God's word. That's why. And God says it's first pure, then peaceable. He says it's first right. Make sure it's right. You say, well, are we going to get along with, with other churches? Look, we'll get along with other churches, but we'll make sure they're right before we do worry about friendships and peace. Do you understand? You say, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I know, because you think like the world does. Because you think like the devil does. Because you think like the Antichrist does. Because you think like the flesh does. Because it doesn't make sense. But God says, my wisdom is first pure, then uh, peaceable. Go to Proverbs chapter 14. We're going to finish up right here. Proverbs 14. Okay, we're going to go to Proverbs, go to James, and we're going to come back to Proverbs. All right? So keep your finger on Proverbs when you get there. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you're following the book of Psalms. The book right after is Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14. Look at verse 12. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says about man's wisdom. Now, here's what's interesting. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way which seemeth, it looks right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, the world's wisdom leads to death. Whenever I read this verse, it reminds me of the book of Judges. Remember the book of Judges? says there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And you say, well, how did that end? It ended pretty weird. You ever read Judges 19? People are getting chopped up. People are getting, you know, violated. People are going to war and kidnapping people's daughters to give them to other men. I mean, it's craziness, the book of Judges. You say, well, why would God put that in the Bible? To show us what happens when every man does that which is right in their own eyes. Because the fruit of the righteous, the Bible says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So notice, the wisdom of this world, the wisdom that is of man, ends in death. But go back, keep your finger on Proverbs, go back to James 3, look at verse 18, we're finishing up. James 3, verse 18, if you're taking notes, you'll notice that we systematically hit every single verse, all right? James chapter 3, look at verse 18, we're finishing right here. And the fruit of, the, of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now that phrase, the fruit of righteousness, if you're a soul winner, that phrase ought to jump out at you, the fruit of righteousness. Why is that? Because it's also found in the book of Proverbs. Well, a very similar phrase. Go to Proverbs chapter number 11, look at verse 30. Proverbs chapter number 11, verse 30. Proverbs 11, verse 30. If you're there in Proverbs 14, just flip a few pages back to Proverbs 11, verse 30. The Bible says, the fruit of the righteous... James 3.18 says the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. He says the fruit of righteousness will produce peace because it's coming from those that make peace. Proverbs 11.30 says this, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of, not death, life. Now the way which seemeth right, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, man's wisdom leads to death. God's wisdom leads to life. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is, I love, I love the Bible. Wise. Wise. Oh, that's just a coincidence. No, that's the Holy Spirit. 
The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. You say, well, why is he talking about soul winners? Because there's no one in this world who's more interested in, in being approachable and loving people and being gentle and wanting to reach people and loving people than the man and the woman that wants to reach people and bring peace between God and that individual. Because they make peace. And that's wisdom. So here's, so here's the challenge for you. What kind of wisdom do you use? Well, how do you live your life? The next time you're arguing with your spouse, you know, tell yourself, what, what wisdom am I using? Earthly? Sensual? Next time you're yelling at your kids, next time you're, you know, saying things that you shouldn't be saying to that guy that cut you off, you know, because that guy's probably me. <laughs> I'm not a very good driver, you know, or whatever. I, if I cut you off, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, the next time you get all upset and you get all strife, you get all filled with envy, the next time you just, I'm just not happy with my life. I just wish that we had this much money or we had this or we had that. I just wish we had a different car. I wish we had a different ride. Hey, just realize that did not come from God. It came from the flesh, from the world, from the devil. But if you're easy to be entreated, if you're full of mercy, if you forgive, if you're full of good fruit, if you're without partiality, if you're without hypocrisy, if you have gentleness, if, if you have those attributes, it's because you're practicing not your own wisdom, but the wisdom that is from above. And we can tell by your works. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.